Well, good morning. Happy New Year. It's exciting bringing out the new year. I'm going to try lowering your standards for preaching, and James is going to pick y'all back up next week. Um, now, uh, so this is my second sermon, so please be gracious with me. If anything falls or spills, it's all part of it. Don't worry. Um, no, I'm, I'm Dylan Bennett. I'm the pastoral intern here. If you don't know what that is, that just means I'm a pastor in training, and I basically do all the things that James can't do. So try to take some weight off his shoulders. <laughs> uh, now, welcome this morning. Thank you for coming in. Um, I'm super excited. Um, so today we're going to go keep our, our story of Exodus going. Um, I, I didn't have a title for this sermon, and then James asked me this week, hey, what's your title? I have no idea. So this is for James. I know he likes his titles. The title of today, When Our Hands Grow Tired. The text is uh, Exodus 17, 8 through 6. That's not true. 8 through 16. Um, one of the things I try doing when I write the sermon is um, to sum it up in one sentence. And today our entire sermon can be summed up as this. We need to fight even when we are weary. But that means we need each other and the Lord if we are to prevail. That's the sermon. If you take away anything, take that. Um, So the book of Exodus, it's about a God who makes himself known. First to Moses, then to Pharaoh, then the Egyptians, and now to the nation of Israel. So in Exodus 17, we're going to read this text. And then we're going to pray that God reveals himself to us. It's a long text. Bear with me. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, Whenever Moses held his hands up, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it underneath him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of God, or of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's pray. God, we ask that you, uh, you reveal yourself through this text. God, this isn't a history lesson. This is you unfolding your story to us in present day of your character, of your name, of your goodness, of your favor. God, I pray that we come open-hearted. Listen for your words. God, let me speak your words, not mine. Move here, be with us, come sit with us in this place, be present. 
Let us know you, God. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't really have a go back point, but uh, all right. So in this story, it was only a few weeks ago that Israel was enslaved in Egypt. A little over 20 days. God demanded and won their release. He split the Red Sea, provided an escape for them. He provided food from heaven and water from a rock. God over and over again has proved that he will rescue and provide for his people. Early on in Exodus, God told Moses to tell his people, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out, of the, out from the, under the burdens of Egyptians. God has chosen Israel as his people. In the Hebrew text, it actually refers to him as his individual son. The nation of Israel is the son of God. He has taken his child to the place of salvation at the Red Sea, the place of testing and bitterness at Marah, the place of rest at Elam, the wilderness of sin with the manna and the quail, the place of provision, Massa and Meribah, was a place of warning, and now we have Repidium. This is the place of battle. Here again, God has something to teach his people. In Exodus 3, God reveals his name to Moses. Moses says, who are you? Who should I tell sent me to the people? And he said, I will give you my name, the divine name, Yahweh, Jehovah, I am who I am. That is his name. In chapter 17, we get a variation of that name. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Some of y'all may remember the movie The Patriot. Uh, In the final battle, the Battle of Calpins, there's a moment where Mel Gibson sees the flag bearer running back yelling retreat. So, as Mel Gibson would, he runs to the flag bearer, grabs the flag, yelling, no retreat, hold the line. A banner is a military term. It's the signal pole around which an army can be gathered, regathered, and regrouped. Here's our banner. In the midst of the fight, if you retreat, you come here. When you have marching instructions in advance, you gather here. Raising up the banner, the Lord will fight. Raising up the banner says the Lord will fight. We rally to him, we fight for him, and he fights for us. I imagine if you polled Israel, um, no one wanted to go into battle. They probably wish they had map quested from the Red Sea to the Promised Land. The Red Sea was a place of salvation. And they wanted to get to the Promised Land as quickly as possible. If they were going to make a stop along the way, Elam, the place with the palm trees and the 12 springs, it's a nice little stop. Let's stop there. But that's not reality. God is not concerned with the quickest route. He's far more thoughtful and wants to reveal himself. Oftentimes, that's the scenic route. I know you all know that. It's not the way we wanted to go. God takes us a long way sometimes. You're going to have battles. The New Testament says, fight the good fight. Share in the sufferings as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Now, the church, this is not physical battles. Jesus told Peter to put away the sword. Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. 
We are not to rally our guns and swords and as a church to go fight. But the battles are real nonetheless. Every one of you can think of opponents, enemies and struggles. Perhaps it's obvious. There's people in your life who don't stand like what you stand for. Your boss doesn't like that you're a Christian. Your students don't like that you're a Christian. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's in how your life actually plays out. There are difficult issues to sort through, and you see people wondering and wavering. Maybe it's your own unbelief, your own struggle to believe the promises of God, or your own doubts and your fears. Maybe it's your temptation to seek revenge or seek a name for yourself. Sexual impurity, to hold on to bitterness, to refuse to forgive or believe the worst about people. It does make life easier when you believe the worst about people. You just move along your merry way, assuming the worst about everyone. Maybe it's your temptation to blame others for your problems, or hold a grudge, or to close your heart, or fight the way the world fights. Ultimately, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. It's wrong. Against spiritual forces of evil at work in the world and in our own hearts, sadly. In the midst of all this, God is calling us to remember his name, Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner. We need to fight even when we are tired. For those who don't know, my wife is pregnant with her third child. Appreciate that. I feel like it's less impressive. One is exciting. Three is like, are you sure? <laughs> I'm shooting for 10. See if y'all can convince her. Um, so this time around, she's asked me to be the one to, to catch the baby. I'm not for it. I, I keep reminding her that I did not go to medical school. I've never practiced medicine. I am fully unqualified for what you're asking me to do. In the first two births, um, I didn't do much outside of dodging elbows that were being thrown by Cody. She was in pain, and she was letting me be in pain too. Um, the small amount I participated in was cutting the umbilical cord. And both times, <laughs> I objected, saying, I'm not qualified for minor surgery. I also asked, is insurance not covering this? Does this make this cheaper? So I'm not ready for it. And I think Israel in our text today is going through something similar. God has asked them to fight, but they are unqualified because they are slaves. And slaves don't trade for war. They build storehouses. The Amalekites, which were attacking, were at least prepared. They had strategy. In Deuteronomy 25, 17, we get some context on how they would have attacked. Remember what Amalekites? Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. He cut off your tail for those who were lagging behind, and he did not fear God. They attacked all who were lagging behind. Who was lagging behind? The elderly, the injured, the children, pregnant women, 
tired mothers. So Moses tells Joshua to go find men who can fight. Now, this likely wasn't Moses telling Joshua, go get the best of the best. His choice men. Instead, it was likely a plea for Joshua to find any able body, anyone who would fight, not could fight. Remember, this is a bunch of former slaves, not soldier, not soldiers. Israel had been enslaved for 400 years. So Joshua's checklist was probably, are you healthy enough to fight? Do you have anything sharp or pointy? <laughs> now, maybe they had a couple swords when they left Egypt. They gathered some stuff, but not enough for an army. I can only imagine the conversation Joshua had with the people. Amalek is attacking. We need everyone to fight. If I were in the crowd, I would have some questions. Where is God? Can he not send another plague? He split the Red Sea. Why is he not defending us? How can we defeat them? Is this really what God wants for us to fight? When Israel started their journey at the Red Sea, what did they have to do? Nothing. They only needed faith. Faith is what you needed for salvation. Faith had them walk through walls of water. God didn't say, turn around and fight. He didn't say, after 400 years, you've required enough spiritual points, now I'll set you free. No, God said, you are my people, and I'm going to save you. I will fight for you. Have faith. Trust me and walk. That is the process of salvation, justification, and regeneration. God says, you are my people. I choose you. Believe, repent, and you will be saved. You might ask, what does it have to do? Believe. But belief alone does not sum up a Christian's life. It still takes faith, but also action and energy. This is not a let go and let God. This is not sanctification by faith alone. There are times when God says, I'm going to do it all. Just march around the city, play your musical instruments, and the walls will fall down. But there are a lot of times when God says, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it through you. You have to get up and fight. God is teaching Israel something here, and I think he wants to show us something too. This is what it's like when you follow God. He does all of this for you. He saves you, but then before you get to the promised land, you have a lot to learn. You're going to have times when you feel hungry and tired and thirsty, and you start to wonder, what is God doing? And you start to grumble and complain. But then you have to get up and fight. The Christian life looks like this. God says, I'm going to fight for you. The victory will be mine. But Joshua, you need to get some soldiers ready. You have a day to do it. You need to get out there and fight. I wonder if some of us are in this place where we think, I didn't sign up for this. It is what the Lord signed you up for. You need to fight and remember his name, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. We need to fight even when we are weary, but that means we need each other. Joshua was in charge of leading men into battle. Moses and his brother Aaron and a man named Hur went to the top of the hill. 
We don't know much about her. Josephus, a Jewish historian, su- suggests that her was married to Miriam, which would make him make her Moses' brother-in-law. Yeah, y'all get it. There's no way of confirming that, but it was obvious her was important. He had no introduction, and he was in Moses' close circle. He was one of two that went to the hilltop. During the battle, Moses holds the staff above his head. Israel would win when he held it up, and when he lowered it, Malachi would win. Imagine the weight of that. The life of his people are in his hands. How long can you hold your hands up for? What if your friends are dying around you? I almost wanted to do a test today for have everybody raise their hands and see if you can do it for the entire sermon. <laughs> Does anybody want to take me up on that challenge? I feel like some of the boys could. I just know it would be difficult to hold your hands up that long until the sun goes down. Aaron and her get a stone for Moses to sit down. Then Aaron holds one hand. I see y'all back there. Aaron holds one hand and her the other until the battle was finished. Now, I'm not sure if Moses asked for help or if these guys saw the need and stepped in, but they were there to help. This is what we do as believers. Jesus told Peter, go and strengthen the brothers. Paul travels back and strengthens all the disciples in Acts 18. Paul says, for I long to see you that I may impart for you spiritual gifts and to strengthen you in Romans 1. Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, we sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in the faith. This is what we do as Christians. We strengthen each other and we hold up each other's arms. I'm sure some of you today feel like Moses. Not the Moses that split the Red Sea, that battled with Pharaoh, but this Moses whose hands are heavy. We have that feeling of, I don't know how much longer I can keep up with the normal stuff, with work, with kids, with cleaning, with bills, with lack of sleep. You feel exhausted. Others of you are dealing with that, plus a marriage that's falling apart. People leave you. People betray you. People hurt you. You don't have a job. You don't have a spouse. You have doubts and health problems. It feels like you were saying, I don't know how long I can keep my arms up. I need an errand and a her. You're too weary to parent. Too tired to stay with your spouse. To keep working at the relationship. To make it through another week. To press on. And dangerously, too weary to hope, too weary to pray. We need each other. We need someone to say, I will pray for you when your prayers run out. And I will keep praying for you when your prayers have turned to anxiety, when the circumstances have not changed. And you anticipate nothing but the same. When you can't pray about it anymore, you need to look at some, to someone and ask, would you hold my arms up? Yeah. It might be more difficult to be Moses here. You might think, I know how to fix stuff. I can do it by myself. What about when you can't? 
Would you send out a text, a call, an email, an SOS to an Aaron and a her to tell them, I can't keep my hands up anymore. Could you get me a rock? Could you hold my arms? Do you have the humility to admit that's where you are and ask for help? To tell somebody your weakness? To let someone in on your struggles? There's definitely times where we feel like Moses, but there's times where we feel like Aaron and her. You see someone struggling to stand, go do something about it. You can't say, no one ever asked. Asking is hard. No one ever says they need anything. Simply saying, let me know if you need something, is not enough. They never let you know when you say that. What if you say, I've been thinking about you, and I'm praying for you. I want to pray for you. I love you. I've heard what you've been going through, and it must be hard. How is it going caring for your mom or for your dad or all those kids? Is there anything I can do for you this week to hold your hands up? So I challenge you this week, will you look for Moseses in your life who need their hands held up? Will you say, I know what you're, you're going through is a lot, and I want to help. Or will you, as a Moses, say to Aaron and her, I am tired. I can't keep going. I need someone to hold me up because I can't do it. And there's a lot of people counting on me, a lot of kids, a lot of ministry, a lot of people. If my hands start to fall, sin is waiting to come in, and I will give up. Will you help me? At Parkview, part of our statement, our identity, is written like this. Whether you're skeptical or confident, rejoicing or wounded, faithful or just curious, there is room for you here. That statement both includes the people that need help and the people that are willing to help. Some of the most beautiful relationships we have in our current life right now is through our community group. Shout out to them. Um, so today, if you feel like you're one of these people, which we all are, either I need help desperately or God, I'm so willing to help. My challenge is that you go find a community group. We have some open spots. We need to fill them or we have room to fill and we want you in them. It's a beautiful relationship we have in community. So if you want to share a meal with people, be in community, have support, come find me, come find James. We will help you fit into a community group. There's room. We want to be here for you. Let me see if I can drink some coffee here without pouring all over myself. y'all heard all that. All right. Full sermon. We need to fight even when we are weary, but that means we need each other and the Lord if we are to prevail. Let us look back to verses 13 and 14, or 14 and 15. The Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it to the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. 
And Moses built an altar and called it the name of the Lord. The Lord is my banner. I was reading through the commentaries on this text, and one of them said this is the first time in the Bible we have instructions to write something down. Thought that was an interesting note. This is also the first time in, uh, in Exodus that an altar is built. We have Noah building altars, Abraham, Jacob, all in Genesis, but this is the first one in Exodus. An altar is built to mark and memorialize, memorialize difficult and triumph moments in history. In Memphis last year, uh, me and my family went through the Civil Rights Museum. It is built off of the hotel that MLK was shot. You might consider the Vietnam Memorial or the Lincoln Memorial. A memorial is bu- or an altar is built to observe and remember it. This altar was built to remind Israel that God is with them. A lesson that Israel forgets far too quickly. We'll see that through the rest of Exodus, but I believe we also forget far too quickly. As I finish out the text, I want to look back at the staff for a moment. The staff is God's power. Think about how it was used. Moses threw it to the ground and became a snake and ate Pharaoh's snakes up. It touched the Nile River. The river became blood. Touched it again and cleaned it. It hit a rock and water came rushing out. John Calvin says, that single rod was more avail than if they had gone into the field preceded by a thousand banners. If Joshua said, we don't know how to fight, we have not trained as soldiers, Moses could have said, we have the staff which is to say we have the Lord. We are going to have more battles, enemies, and hard days. Hopefully some of those are at Elam where we can have some rest with some palm trees and some springs. God will give you manna when you need it. But there will be days where you have it rippered in. Every one of the stops in the wilderness, this process has the same lesson, more or less. God is saying, you can trust me. You don't know what you're going to eat? You can trust me. You don't know what you're going to drink? You're thirsty? You can trust me. You have enemies? You can trust me. How do we show that we believe the Lord is necessary for victory and that I should be able to give it? We do the same thing Moses did. We lift our hands to the heaven. Now, We don't have a staff, but we have something better. We have Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us. You don't need a a staff. You have a Savior. Lift your hands to the heavens and pray. When you pray, it's you saying, God, I can't. I am not able. But you are. So you pray. And you gather around the cross. The cross is our banner. We rally to its side. We regroup at it. We gather around it. In the midst of the battle, look to the cross. When temptation attacks, flee to the cross. That is the place we find courage to fight. That is the place we find rest when we cannot lift our arms up any longer. Even Jesus was tired. And could no longer hold his arms up. But after three days, God gave him victory.
Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you use this text to reveal yourself and open our hearts. God, we are in need of you. We are in need of community. We love you. Lord, be with us. Let us see the victory in the cross. Let us regroup there, retreat there, and come there. Give us our marching orders from there. God, we seek you. We seek your presence. Come heal hearts in this room. Give us courage to speak to one another, to lift each other's arms up. You are enough, God. Show us that. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.